You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Legends of Runeterra. This episode is supported by listeners like you. To become a supporter of Legends Cast, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. <laughs> uh, my name is Mark or the Lift, and I'm from outside of Pittsburgh, PA. I'm one of your hosts, and with me tonight is my legendary, ever faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how you doing tonight, man? Doing pretty good, dude. Ready to talk about some um, some Runeterra. I, I've been I've been really enjoying it recently. Um. And I don't know. I just I'm I'm super digging being able to play Braum again. I know I said that last week, but you know, I mean it's I've been playing many shades of Braum and, and just enjoying it and running into it a lot, which is kind of cool too. And uh yeah. But I mean not just Braum, playing some other stuff too, experimenting with a few things and uh I think we'll talk a little bit more about experimentation later, but uh all in all, Runeterra's been fun, life's been pretty decent and busy. You know, but decent. I tell you what, I uh, I went to IKEA, uh, which has reopened. Uh, I went to IKEA on uh, I guess Saturday, and I got myself a few things for my apartment. Not a nice. lot of, not too much, but nice. I got a coffee table for myself. And I tell you what, um, having the coffee table in my living room and the the couple other things like I got a lamp for my bedroom, and whatnot. But it has really made my apartment feel so much more like home. It's crazy. It makes a big difference. It, it makes a huge difference. When it's and not just, just like, like a couch and a TV in the living room. Exactly. Yeah. And so like I've had this, I have this coffee table and I'm sitting there looking at it. It's got, you know, my TV remote, my laptop and a candle on it. And I'm just like taking so much pride in this not overwhelmingly expensive coffee table from Ikea. You know what I mean? Heck yeah, man. <laughs> Well, you know, without the coffee table, when you walk into your apartment, you're like, uh, does someone in their 20s live here or was a teenage gamer kicked out of his parents' house and took his TV and his Xbox with him <laughs> and he's just squatting in this place, right? Did he just find this break in? Is he squatting in here? So the coffee table really brings the room because there's no it really pulls the room together. There's no gamer who's leaving with with a coffee table, right? When he gets kicked out of his parents' house. That's true. That's true. I did not get kicked out of my parents' house, just to be clear. <laughs> but that wasn't uh, what no, I was trying yeah. to say at all. <laughs> just, to, just in case people were wondering, that that's not the situation. But no. he did kind uh, of. I certainly <laughs> no, I'm did just not. Joking. I'm just joking. That is a that is a lie, <laughs> sir. You've besmirched me. Oh man. Well, um, dude, my week was. Yeah. Interesting. So I did play some Legends of Runeterra. A couple things I got. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I I had I got to join up in the Legends Cast Discord League, um, leaving DBN uh, behind to be the final rules judge and 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 caller for things. Judge, jury, and execution. Yeah, we had a couple of no shows, so we needed some fill in. So I filled in with Formula, which was my Legends of Runeterra experience this week. I actually streamed a little bit of LOR this week. 
um, to test out some decks and found a couple that I really, really like that I brewed up, which is really cool. But this week, so this was the, re I, I've said on the podcast before, I, w I work for a church. And so since coronavirus, we have not had church. And so we are returning to, we were returning to church this past weekend. And my job is to get everybody safely into and out of the building, which is a pretty big job that requires a lot of freaking work. So I put all of the stuff together and the day yeah. before church, my daughter I got to imagine that's not like the most fun thing. Well, it, yeah. And in, in, in the area that I live in too, like people are, and we, 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 I work for a big church in a small town. And so we had no idea how many people were going to show up. It was just stressful. But then my, uh, my daughter got a fever. My nine month old got a fever the day before church. And so here's what I'm supposed to be doing because I didn't want it to be super tense. So I made all of my people who greeted people in the parking lot wear goofy hats. And I bought an inflatable ostrich rider costume and a hot dog hat. And I was going to be at church and, and we made shirts that said, follow me on the front of them. And then on the back of them said, if you want to live because we thought that was <laughs> hilarious, right? So I was going to be in that shirt, inflatable ostrich riding costume, hot dog hat. And I was going to have to go up to each car. And as people came out, I had to ask them, does anybody in your family have a fever, shortness of breath or sick? And I was like, I'm going to be an enormous hypocrite if I ask every person this. And then I literally am in an ostrich costume with a child at home that has a fever. So I was not allowed to go to church this weekend. So I actually had to lead everything and put all my teams remotely in place, which was a nightmare luckily yeah. i had two key staff members who stepped in and just absolutely killed it for me so that happened this weekend then on monday on the same day i simultaneously had two water leaks both of them inside my gaming room one of them above my head the other one from under my on my floor the first one i had a water leak that dripped into my room all day all all night long i found it on monday morning cleaned it up turned off the water then our wash tub overflowed from our dryer because like a bozo myself, I left a bunch of water balloons in the wash tub, which clogged the drain. And then it overflowed and it flooded my gaming room, literally soaked the carpet and the floor wall to wall all the way across my recording studio. And I had to rip out all of my equipment, all of my school stuff. And I had to pull up the carpet, shop vac everything out, dry it out, dehumidify it, and then reinstall all of my streaming equipment and recording equipment. So it was like, this week was like, it hit the fan this week. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and my daughter, so my daughter has a fever for three days. She has four teeth that are coming in all at the same time. Turns out she had a she has a virus called roseola, which is not the coronavirus. It's just something that little kids typically get. And um, so she had a, a rash and like, and all these teeth coming in. She barely slept this weekend. It was like, what? <laughs> like, how, how does this happen all at once? And how do you get two water leaks that are completely unrelated on the same day in the same room? I was like, what is, so that was my week outside of the tremendous amount of fun that I had in Legends of Runeterra this weekend and in joining into the league. So it was yeah. uh oh. oh my god oh jeez so you've been playing braum man i i have seen a lot of braum a lot like uh it seems like frail your nexus was really the flavor for a couple of days there ash braum sejuani braum um braum vlad uh did you have one that was kind of your favorite variation this week 
Well, I have the one that I played the most, and it's it's kind of a meta counter, okay, uh, sort of list. Um, but it, it was a, and I is the one I posted a video up uh, of, and I kind of talked about it last week a little bit, so I won't go too much. But it's basically a, uh, um, Ash and Brom with Demacia in a mid range kind of package with. Uh, a lot of early game uh, Freljord, actually, to try to slow the game down. So sentries, um, the freezy two-drop, you know, things like that. Yeah, Ice Veil Archer. Up. That's the one. Ice Veil Archer. You know, and then basically on four, you get either Brom or Ash, and they're both pretty baller four-drops. Um, and then you close out with Radiant Guardian, which is just a really strong card against aggro, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, Radiant Guardian, Cythria, and then one Tiana Crowns Guard uh, is the top end. Is Tiana Crowns Guard the one that you play and it rallies? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm familiar. Um, so that's kind of the uh, the situation there. And it's not overwhelmingly, like, like complicated, but it is just a generally good deck. And it because it's running, like, Hearth Guards mm. uh, and it's running the Silverwing Vanguards, I talked about this last week, but it's just got a ton of Challenger. Like you got the wolves with the freeze, you've got the Brom with Challenger, you've got the um, Silverwing Vanguard with the Challenger. So you just got a, a, a lot of ways to attack the elusives. You got a lot of ways to pull the Boom Crew rookies off the bench and kill them, stuff like that. Very nice. I uh, I <laughs> I am now uh, like forty this week. I I opened I think two two rewards from Bilgewater that landed me i got a golden chest and a in a champion chest i think that um a champion capsule that both landed me with just shards this week because i have all nice. the champions i so. did get uh i i did get um two champions in my level eight uh chest or whatever your this week. Level, level eight my level eight <laughs> I, got the, awesome. I got the one i got the one random champion right uh that you get uh, i'm not worried about getting up to 10 because at this point i'm kind of like enjoying the surprise of what champion i get yeah that's true um and not that it like i don't feel pressured to hit 10 i feel pressured at five but i don't feel pressured to hit 10 um but then i also like one of the random cards and like a golden chest gets upgraded to a legendary and i got my third shin so i was like okay why not very nice why not you know, I broke the 40,000 shard mark today. 40,000 shard mark. I don't know if that's good or not, but it's a lot of shards. It, it's going to turn into a lot of champions in the next expansion. For sure. But today, so this week I played, um, I played in the gauntlet and uh, DBN, you played in the gauntlet too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I played in the gauntlet. I messed around with a couple of different decks. I'm trying to think of the deck that I actually originated, that I, like, started with. Because I started with kind of, like, an interesting champion combo. Um, but I was, oh, I was playing Lee Sin Anivia to start it off. Mm. So I played, well, actually, I played Zed. I played Zed Hecarim because I wanted to try the uh, the new additions, the changes to the epic card for Shadow Isles that now strikes and adds a one mana fourth through ephemeral to your hand. And uh, and I wanted to just, I, I can't even remember the name of that card because it, it has been so wildly unpopular. Um, but I really, it's a four drop, but I really, really wanted to try that out. So I tried it out. It's not great. 
um and uh and it, it just didn't do great for me but i did um if, if by the way if you're not familiar with the gauntlet it was something that came out this past weekend you had a chance to take a standard deck and try to go seven wins before losing two in the row or if you lose your your last game your, your game seven you don't have to lose two in the row you you're just out you would end with six wins and you get a little icon if you played and then you got a cooler icon of course if you went for seven wins so that was ren shadow blade was the card that i was talking about so i tried that didn't do so well then i tried i thought you know what like lee sin really wants the opportunity um to to get to the end game with spells and frail yord does a good job of that with all the frost stuff and then i was like i really want to try six mana and nivia out so i threw lee sin and nivia in a deck and um, I tried a couple times. I think I went three and four wins with it before getting knocked out um, and in the gauntlet. And so it, it didn't go fantastic, but it was kind of fun. I think it was actually kind of a problem that Lee Sin and Anivia were both on six. Like I kind of needed one of them to be on six and I needed another champion to be on four or five to sort of actually compete for the board. There was a lot of aggressive decks in the gauntlet, a lot of aggressive decks at first yeah um so i swapped and i actually threw together um my own uh elise deck and uh so i i played it's a it's an aggro deck it's shadow isles noxus spider aggro and um i i went to the top end and pulled the arachnoid host in which is the five mana five three that when it summoned give all spiders plus two plus zero um, and I went with the Iron Ballista, which is the three mana four three with Overwhelm from Noxus, and it did really well. So it has a lot of the typical burn stuff, then a ton of spider stuff with Elise. Then you have your top end with you know um, the Deci a couple Decimates and the Rachnoid Host. And uh, I went seven zero with that deck. Just wow. Because the thing is, is that when you went up against other aggressive decks, you can race them, but oftentimes they could not actually stop Elise from leveling up. And once Elise leveled up and let me prioritize the trades that I wanted, um, you would just destroy people. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, had a, because a Challenger is very good against like the Kinko elusives. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you can level up Elise, which Kinko elusives and the Noxus elusives deck that was running, the Burn elusives deck that was running, really doesn't have a lot outside of Noxian Fervor to actually deal with or get rid of Elise. And they want to send the fervor face really badly. Um, and so because they don't really have many ways to deal with it, often I would get Elise leveled up pretty quickly and then just challenge the stuff that I wanted to challenge and, you know, kill off their their one health elusives with one one spiders, which turned out really, really good. Um, so, yeah, I went seven wins, seven zero with the Elise spider aggro deck. Had a lot of fun with it. Um, what did uh, what did you play in the gauntlet that got you those seven wins, man? Yeah, so I played. I had time to play gauntlet uh, exactly one run of it uh, on Sunday. I uh, I didn't have as much going on as I thought I was going to have going on, and then I had I knew I had to go into the escape room and work a little bit. Um, so I said, you know what? I'll try this gauntlet thing. I wasn't even planning to mess around with it, you know. Sure. Um, but I queued up my, uh, I call it For the Fallen, which is a Allegiance, Shadow Isles, and Demacia list with Lucian and Callista. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one you've been talking mm -hmm. about that you really liked. I think it's good enough to be meta. Nice. 
Like, I, I just think people aren't playing it, which is why it's not meta. But I think it's definitely strong enough to be a meta list if people paid attention to it. Um, I Like, I, that's not ego talking. I mean, people have looked at Lucy and Callista before. It just, right now, I mean, even though the Curse Keeper nerf came through, it doesn't really make the it doesn't really make a big enough difference in this deck. Um, it makes a much bigger deck, a uh, much bigger difference, I think, in like um, they who endure. But really, for this deck, it it's not. It, you don't mind if things die. But anyways, yeah, like I feel like it has game against most of the field. It's aggressive. Um, it can. It, it, I guess it can have a hard time against um, burn, but against elusives, it tends actually to overwhelm like the you can kind of outrace them force them to start blocking a little bit um which is cool and then you also have uh the neverglade collector you have two of those at the top end to help oh that's you very strong mm -hmm. well it's great too when you have a full wide board of cheap guys that you don't mind if they die um which is the whole point of the deck is that go wide as fast as possible they probably will they will get trades you don't mind if they get good trades um because your guys die, they level up your champs. They usually summon other things like Undying or Curse Keeper. Um, or before they die, you glimpse them, you know, etc. Anyways, I went seven and one with it. My only loss was to Mono Demacia, who curved out hard, and I missed my one and two, which is absolutely ridiculous in that deck, considering how many ones and yeah, twos. Yeah, because it's I have. mostly one and two drops, and then yeah, Callista and Lucian. <laughs> yeah, it's one through threes. Uh, and then a couple fours and a couple fives. Like, it's mostly ones and twos. Yeah, it's a really aggressive series. Really aggressive. Play. Right. So I completely missed one drops and two drops, despite mulligans, uh, and they curved out, and it was still a close match. Hmm. Uh, but I stomped all the other games. The only, the only game that was truly close was against Deep, and they got Deep so fast. That can happen um, if if they have the right if they have the right toss cards, like in the beginning of the game, you can be deep by like turn five, which is crazy. Yeah. Well, I think it was turn five, turn five or or like the beginning of six, because they dropped a four mana seven seven, Ooh. pretty early, like I think on five or six or whatever, and then immediately dropped uh, Nautilus as soon as seven hit when it was their turn. So then on eight they dropped a couple big sea monsters. Um, and because of also like dead bloom, whatever's they were healing. Oh yeah, uh, or yeah. They, like I couldn't I couldn't push them down before they got deep, because of the like the dead bloom things. Um, but what was cool is I kind of was able to assess the situation, and say I'm never gonna get a good, I'm never going to get damage through at this point because they are they've gotten to the point where they can spam out their, um, their sea monsters sure uh to fill the board to actually so if my board has six creatures they're gonna be able to block five or six of those you know with the sea monsters and they won't i won't be able to whittle their board down because the guys are so buff um so i basically started i mean it was a little bit of luck but it was also like i just used uh glimpse beyond on characters that i like normally you kind of wait till you have an opportunity to use glimpse beyond like on something with last gasp or you use it on something that's about to die in a trade or mm -hmm. something like that i just went ahead and used it on anything i could i used two glimpse beyonds uh and hunted for neverglade collector got it and then basically started throwing things and blocking as often as i can and eventually 
got the last couple points of damage I needed with Neverglade Collector. Um, because like it's one of those things where I think Neverglade, like you look at it and you say, well, is this really an aggressive card? And it can be, but is this really better than like another uh, ethereal re uh, remitter? Because I, I run two of those and two collectors, and I'm like, it's not necessarily it's better in the deck, um, but rather that it provides a different, a win condition in a different situation. It's kind of like how Karakhan Jewel and Tessel would kind of run all these different weird one-offs. And it wasn't necessarily that it made his deck better at what it did. It just gave him outs against certain situations so that he never, he would always, he could always keep playing and maybe he'd draw that card that would get him out of this other weird situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's kind of what it, it does gives you for a me, different so. type of reach. Because if you're playing with yeah, Noxus, you have, uh, you know, you have a couple of cards that can reach, um, you know, Noxian Fervor and stuff. But, uh, mm -hmm. But with the combination that you're playing, you don't have any damage that can go to the face if it's not coming from a creature. And so, except for Nevergate Collector, which can tick away and get that extra couple of points for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, like, even though the deck usually doesn't need it, you know, to, to get the damage through because it's going so wide, um, it's kind of like in a weird way, kind of like elusives where, like, they can't block. But it's not a matter of they can't block. They just can't block everything. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And um, you don't care if they get some blocks in because you're getting damage through because they just can't. Yeah. You know, they're dropping one thing. And the, the negative thing about sea monsters is that they can almost all be blocked by things like spiders. Um, and uh, it's great if you have, you know, 10, 8 sea monsters, but if they can all be blocked by one ones that deal a damage to you and heal your opponent by one, it doesn't really matter because your opponent can just keep filling your his board with, you know, little things. Um, and that that is one of the weaknesses of sea monsters against some of these sort of like more aggressive, uh, I mean, yours isn't what the tempo build was before, but it's mm -hmm. it's it's got some similarities in the early game. What it's trying to do, it's just a lot more aggressive than right. you know tempo and door. Well, and what's cool too about the list is that um, sometimes you can just win off of Lucian into Senna, uh, two three, Bing Bang Boom, you know. But uh, most of the time, you know, like the best play in the deck, I think, is Oblivious Islander on one um into the undying on two and then it dies and it comes back as a three three on three mm. and then you drop your you know whatever the newer thing is and you swing and they don't they have to you know they they're going to take three because they're never going to block the undying and once i think once you get the undying up to a three three or even a four four like the guy can basically just run away with games because they'll never want to block it because it know? hurts them to block it <laughs> it hurts them to block it down the road Plus, you start. That's where Ethereal Remitter is absolutely bonkers with the Undying. You kill, you swing with the Undying like in an open swing, get the damage through. They didn't block it. You replay the Remitter, you kill your Undying, you summon a random five drop, you get the three four from the Remitter, and then the next turn, the Undying comes back stronger. It's like the most stat value play ever. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very strong. cool. So the point is, I played that deck, um, which I. I just felt really good with, I felt very comfortable with, and I feel like it's good enough. And sure, like sure thing with the exception of the one deck that was, or the one game that was just a hard flop on the hand. Uh, I cruised my way to seven wins. Nice. Um, and very I was nice. like, well, Hey, first times, first, first times a charm, I guess I did it. <laughs> uh, so I was like, great. I've got my thing. And I didn't feel it. Cause if I hadn't, if I, if I had only gotten like three or four wins, I probably wouldn't have played it again. If I'd gotten like five or six, I would have been like, all right, let's run it back. 
you know, but sure. getting that getting seven wins on the first first go round, you know what it a was like, okay, great. I can stop playing now. Not, and I know that sounds bad, but it was more like, I got all these other, I've had all these other things to do, you know, like I need to, I need to live my life <laughs> for well, a minute. I did hear, I did hear about, uh, I did hear about some people who kept playing. Um, mm. but that wasn't, that wasn't me. I wasn't that person. Yeah. I, you know, I was done. It, it, it was good. I got once I got seven wins. I was glad that I did, and I was actually glad right. it took me a couple of tries. Um, however, I wasn't someone who was like going to grind it. I was like, okay, I got out of it, it what I wanted use, to get out of it. Well, it was a good way to get extra experience, which I think was a good thing for them to include there. Which is you can keep playing, keep getting the bonus of XP, which incentivizes some people who are trying to grind and get a extra. Yeah, know, especially those who didn't up. start playing until mobile came out. And they right. need to do that, right? Like I'm, I'm two. I think I'm two things away from finishing my last XP chain, which is I, I'll be caught up. I won't have anything else that I can get until the next expansion. So I don't really need the bonus experience. I was just doing it for like icons and just to do it. Um, mm. And uh, and did have a really good time with it. Although DBN, there is something even more important that I did this week in Legends of Runeterra. Do you know what that is? Um, you do not. Have you Have you already told me, no. or have no. you not told me yet? No, I haven't told you. You haven't told me. No, I okay. Told you. I'm gonna guess uh you uh oh you oh you bought emotes. Dang it, yeah, you knew. I leveled right. up I leveled up my cosmetics game across the board. So uh about the time when Bilgewater came out, I threw fifty bones at this game. Um because I figured out I'm doing a podcast about it, right? I used to throw fifty bones every time an expansion came out for Hearthstone, and I figured I'm not gonna have to do that often with this game, but I wanted to do it. Then I didn't spend a single coin that I bought at all once the game once the expansion came out i never needed i never needed to buy a single card and that's what i was saving up for and then i'm, I'm like literally looking at this and i'm i'm sitting on 15 wild cards for champions and forty thousand shards and i'm like i i'm never ever ever going to need to do this ever again so i was like okay i'm gonna spend the coins and i'm gonna pick up some cosmetics so i picked up the lee sin bundle which i said i wasn't going to do but then I did it because once I saw Lee Sin kicking across that board, and I kind of wanted the, the cool Dragon Lee Sin card back to go with it. And I was playing Lee Sin now in the tournament um, or in the in the league. So I wanted it. So I got that. Then I got Gloomtooth because I've been talking about Gloomtooth forever. And I really wanted Gloomtooth because I do really enjoy playing Shadow Isles. And I think Ghost Sharks are cool. Um, and then I got four emotes. I picked up Thresh, the Thresh, your next emote because he's super cool. I picked up the Lux nice emote because I really prefer that over the Braum one. Um, I really like the Lux emote a lot. I know the Braum one's cool and I know that hurts your heart. Um, but if I had a champion that's maybe one of my, maybe my favorite champion and yours is Braum, mine's probably Lux. So you get the Lux nice emote? Yeah, Lux nice. Yeah, I like that emote. That's one of my favorites. It's so. a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Then I picked up the Teemo come on, come on emote. Oh, that's the maybe the best one overall. Yeah, I I really I really like that one. Um, and then I picked up the Sithria L Yikes emote as well. Um, I really really like that emote. I think that it's kind of I don't know. I feel like the only other one that really channels that well is uh is Ezreal. It's it's kind of like the um you know because you can give like the heimerdinger calculating emote in some situations where mm -hmm. also the sithria one but it's kind of trolly um and you're not sure if like your opponent is making fun of you or telling you that they're thinking um in the sithria yikes emote 
isn't isn't super trolly and um i just really liked it like i i loved the look of it um whenever it came out and i was like i i really want sit through so i picked up two male emotes two female emotes although although both my female emotes are like actual human beings and my male emotes are timo and thresh which i'm pretty sure are both guys they have guy voices <laughs> um yeah. and, you know thresh is like a, a a monster from the blue lagoon and uh uh and and timo is a yurtle but you know hey i i really think the timo emote is really cool so oh the timo the the emote as it were uh yeah the emote is pretty pretty dope no doubt and i have not picked up the mf card back yet but i still think there's a chance that i'm going to do that in the future because i still really think that that e that card back is really really cool and like i was between a couple like i almost went for vlad because i really do like the ability to use vlad um i think that vlad is a really cool one um but i wasn't like i don't know i, I wasn't like loving a ton any of the other ones except kind of like Vlad Vlad had my interest, but I didn't end up going with it. I might pick him up eventually. I use the Vlad emote instead of the Shen good game one. Oh yeah. I think that's a really I think I think that actually he is really good. He can actually replace both Braum and Shen if you wanted to. Yeah, it's, you a, it's both a like, hello and a goodbye. Yeah, like it's a like hello a, and I a, acknowledge a, you. Great game, you know. And it's like a it's a classy great game. It's it's very classy. It's Vlad. So it's so classy. So yeah, I did level toast. up my game doing that for sure. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you that needed to happen, man. I it did. It it really did. It's I was a long time coming. Looking like a buffoon. So I own some stuff did, now. I was able to tweak out my decks. Um, I did get to play, and I I don't know. Did did Formula send you the vod or anything for our match? Not yet. I think I he, hope he does. I think he's going I'm to. to but it was it was we we only ended up playing two games, um, but the mm. first one in particular was a real nail biter, um, and it was really it was a really really good game. Um, so I ended up bringing uh to to the tournament this week or to the league this week. I brought my spider, um, Noxian, uh, and Shadow Isles aggro. I'm bringing Lee Sin Heimerdinger, um, control and uh, Frail Yord. Uh, Ash Lux Mage Seekers, um, and I'll say this: I, I really liked all of the decks that I brought, and I think until the next patch, these are the decks that I'm going to be playing in the league in the weeks ahead. So if you're up against me in Group Five, you have a chance to <laughs> do some research and prepare yourself to beat me if it's that important to you. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be fun. I, I. Uh... I would love to be playing in it, but I think it's important that someone remains uh, not in the league, uh, you know, just for the sake of having someone to kind of as unbiased as possible look at any potential disputes, not that we've had any, you know, but just in case. <laughs> sure, because if, uh, well, I'm, I mean, I'm still going to twist DBN's arm in my favor every week <laughs> so that i come out as the winner of this thing and win a the second hat uh, yeah we'll have to interview i'll have to interview you you'll have to interview yourself yes in that case mark what made you win <laughs> it's really just being a far superior strategist and player uh, it's it's just being a really really good it, decision maker mark it just oh. comes down to it just comes down to being friends with a guy who's the head judge yeah <laughs> and really i just said everyone else was cheating and he kicked them out until i won so 
Um, it was great to waste everybody's time. Um, and we burned the Discord <laughs> to the ground in the process. And nobody's <laughs> there. <laughs> All right. So you're going to win the next Discord League, too, by default. Yeah, yeah. It'll be me against me, and you'll be able to interview me with me again. It'll be really fantastic. Um, Charming. And no one is listening to this anymore. Um, well, we do have a little bit of – there's not, like, a ton of news this week because we're the week after a big patch, and, and we typically don't hear a ton um we the only thing we did here was about some gauntlet stuff but why don't we go ahead and uh, jump over to the news i know what lurks in the shadows dbn tell us a little bit about what is going on in the news right now and i don't know if it's it's so much news as maybe it's it's more of like an ongoing conversation um mm -hmm. but i was even a little bit unaware of it because i haven't had a lot of time you know with all the water issues in my house um, to be on Twitch, but tell me, tell us a little bit about it. Run us through it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's anything like, you know, a big, it's not a big deal or anything, but there's, uh, quite a few people. And I just have noticed on, on Twitter and discord, uh, a little bit, um, a lot of content creators specifically, um, seem to be a little bit unhappy with the current environment, the current meta. Um, we've definitely seen aggro make a bit of a comeback here elusives in particular but also uh burn which i i gotta be honest guys i totally called that that i didn't think burn was going anywhere i, I felt like you know noxus pnz burn was still boom kuruki is still good you know i mean yeah legion vanguard is uh gone now so i mean we see not Va not vanguard uh, rear guard rear guard is not, I mean, I think he's gone. I don't think anyone's playing that card. Um, but, you know, so we're seeing other things. You know, I've seen all sorts of one drops get added. You know, Teemo, you know, is fine. You yeah, know, yeah he's a pretty one. popular so, one. Right. So the bottom line is, and that was, he was the original one, you know, was mm -hmm. in there. Teemo and the Legion Rearguard were in there. Um, but, um, but what happens then is, and I don't think aggro, for the record, I don't think aggro is unbalanced right now. Uh, I think elusives are still extreme, and I think that gets down to the, that's part of the problem. Uh, but the bigger problem, I think, is that with aggro being very, very strong again, um, decks that are played on the ladder become a lot more refined and less experimental so that they can beat aggro. And so what happens is, is people looking to do, you know, new, and by experiment, I, I am strictly talking not like playing, testing new variants. I'm strictly talking like new decks, new creations, memeing, stuff like that. I've seen a lot of people complain that this is a very uh, bad environment uh, for the viability of off-meta experimentation and memes. Um, because aggro is so good uh, that, A, you have to be able to handle aggro. And, you know, a lot of times you, you start when you're building a new experimental deck, um, you start looking at, okay, well, how, how do I, I'm forced to include cards to, to give me a chance against aggro, which kind of remove a bit of the fun of it. Um, but uh, I think there's also the situation where you're also getting, you're queuing into uh, a lot smaller of a range of mid-range and control decks because people are playing the mid-range and control decks that have a good win rate against aggro um and so it, it does create something of a 
not a polarizing experience. I, I think what they're simply saying is the decks that are being played are either aggro or hyper refined mid range and control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just is creating an environment that isn't as suitable for experiment. So I've seen that from a few content creators, some big names. Uh, if you really, I, you know, I don't want to misrepresent anyone's views, so I'm not going to say anyone in particular, but you know, you guys can go and look around and see what people are saying. But I've just seen that in enough places now that I think it stands to be worth mentioning. Um, but knowing the Riot team, I do have full confidence that they'll make some adjustments. I still I still think elusives are an unhealthy thing for the longevity of this game. Um, just because non-interaction isn't a good way to play. It's not a fun way to play. So I, I still wish they would um, just... Get hard rework on elusives. They won't do it, but I wish they would. Or just not print anymore. I think one of the problems is that the only way, like, so when we slip into an elusives meta, right, which is where we are right now. So there is a very popular Noxus Ionia elusives burn deck. So it's it's the burn package, right? Some of the burn pieces along with elusives. So which are a burn tool as well. And then the other one is Kinko Elusives, which Swim at this point in his medalist this week rated Kinko Elusives as, you know, the tier one or the most powerful deck currently out there, along with one other that I'm going to talk about in a moment. The problem is, is that when we were in an aggro meta, because we were in that before, burn was very, very strong, but it wasn't elusive burn. There was multiple ways to sort of address the issue. The problem is, is that the most efficient and best way to address the issue when it's elusives is Heimerdinger and almost only Heimerdinger. And because Heimerdinger can generate elusives that you can drop on the board at the same time that it's playing spells that are dealing with elusives that your opponent has on the board. And so in the Heimerdinger deck is pretty refined. It has been. Heimer hasn't seen an adjustment and there aren't many cards around him that have seen an adjustment that really matters. Like if I look at my Lee Sin Heimerdinger deck that I'm playing, right? There is stuff that I put in that adjusted to Lee Sin to help me play him a little bit better. But basically when I create it, I put Heimerdinger in Twin Disciplines, Get Excited, Flash of Brilliance, Mystic Shot, Thermogenic Beam. Three of each, they go in the deck because Three of those cards generate elusives, and the rest of them deal with early game threats. Um, and Flash of Brilliance gives you some, you know, some options in the later game. Once you pass turn, the turn that you play Heimer at five, you can pass turn, and you can now play typically your six mana Flash of Brilliance card um, to also get another big thing on the board from Heimer. And that doesn't always happen, but it does frequently happen. And I think there's a lot of frustration because when it is an elusives meta there isn't a ton of experiment experimentation that you can do because the only really good way to counter it is heimerdinger and the heimerdinger deck is very resolved i mean you can put vi in it you there's a couple of slots in there to put a champion and different champions have been used you've seen it with karma you've seen it with vi you've seen it with even ezreal i'm running it with lee sin but it's basically the heimerdinger deck that i'm running with lee sin and I think for a lot of people, that's very frustrating for them. And I, and I understand that. But I think for the most part, that is people who are turning a lot of games and are trying primarily to make content. 
I think that's that's the key here. I agree. Um, I don't know how much. I don't feel like it has really even affected me so much. You know, I I haven't felt um like I I haven't been dissatisfied with the environments that I've that we've been playing in. I haven't felt uh, like I'm seeing so much of any one thing that it's making me unhappy as a player. I haven't felt that the decks that I've been experimenting with have been stymied uh, by the decks that are popular. But I think that that does come specifically from my personal deck building approach, which I do want to cover a little bit later because we're going to talk about deck building specifically. Mm -hmm. But I have a very, very specific approach when it comes to the types of decks I am interested in building. Um, And so I... Grain of salt. But that's been my experience. I kind of do uh, sympathize, especially as a former... Uh, content creator, you know, um, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I, there's been some games that I've been very frustrated with. I, you know, the Imperial Demolitionist, um, the that's one that does one damage to one of your creatures and deals two damage to your opponent's face. The uh, Transfusion, which is deal one damage to an ally, give another ally plus two plus two this round. Um, and then you have uh, the other two drop that. I can crimson never, yeah, crimson disciple. disciple. Those three together are are basically, for the most part, the Noxus burn package. I mean, it's kind of there are other cards in it, but it's kind of been refined down to those three. And if you can splash Noxus and get those three early game cards in your deck, they are very difficult to play around, and they often deal a tremendous amount of damage. I mean. A, a, they can deal a lot of damage. You have, you know, Noxian Ferber can can maybe get thrown in that package as well, as, as something that's very very strong aggro tools and Noxus. Um, I I do think it has a problem with Noxus. Once again, we talked about this last week, not having a great or maybe two weeks ago, not having a really great identity. Um, I do mm-hmm. see the frustration. I agree with you. I haven't run into it, and I don't think, in my opinion. I don't think that aggro is in a terrible place either. I mean, I don't feel like it's horribly unbalanced. And and it could be because I'm not playing enough games to feel that way. But I feel like aggro is always something that can sufficiently be countered. It may, but it may squelch, like, creativity um, at higher ranks. That is a very real possibility. And for people who are, maybe they're trying to play five different decks in a week because they're they're streaming five days a week. For hours mm-hmm. or they're creating youtube every day and it becomes difficult to create that you know that ezreal zed deck that you were going to throw together that's you know you want to get people to watch whenever it's like i can't play ezreal zed because everyone's playing kinko elusives right now right and it's very frustrating because i can't i can't win a game or do anything cool against kinko elusives unless i'm playing the right combination of cards and i get that being frustrating yeah but I don't think it's necessarily a reason to put in a quick hotfix either. I'm perfectly content with the meta that we have, and I think it's perfectly acceptable for us to wait a few weeks before we get another adjustment as well. Like, I I haven't been like, oh, man, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. How could they make this mistake? This is ridiculous. How could they not see their aggro? I'm sure that they made these adjustments knowing that aggro was going to be strong for a couple weeks, and people who love to play aggro would be happy. Well, yes, yeah, 
maybe i i mean i felt like um i mean i don't feel like it was anything where they made any change that brought aggro up it's just simply the idea of you know they did bring they who endure down a little bit mm-hmm. and they um, who endure is very good against that because you do have the challengers that you can get off of that three drop that sacks a creature and summons to mm-hmm. yeah and, and but i i don't know i i think that maybe these i mean we saw elusives coming up before the balance patch elusives were kind of coming back mm-hmm. you know um and I think burn, not like Noxus PNZ burn was always there. Like I, I think, I think we just weren't looking at it. You know, yeah, it probably. And I, yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind too is, I mean, we did have like twenty cards adjusted, and we were talking about this in the Discord the other day. You know, we had twenty cards adjusted. That's a big change. That's a lot of change. And anytime mm-hmm. there's a lot of change in a card game, aggro capitalizes on that because there's not refined lists. There aren't people who really yeah. know how to deal with stuff yet. So aggro just rules the field. Whether aggro got adjusted or not, aggro typically rules the field right after adjustment. And everyone's like, aggro's oppressive. They need to change this. Raga, 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 raga. And that is the noise they make, by the way. It's a raga, 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 raga. And um, yeah, it's a raga, raga. It's a raga, raga noise. Um, and then someone discovers like a really good control or mid-range list that sort of, uh, you know, counters that or, um, you know, sort of plays well against that. It just takes longer to refine and find those lists. Um, and I think that that's okay. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a good health gain in Nivea deck out there that just absolutely trashes on kinko elusives but we haven't really seen that come out well, yet you know i mean i i've seen some anivia decks that are putting in putting in some work you know i mean that that's to me like that's a sign that like things aren't so bad you know um but heck i I don't play as much as those content creators. And I think that that's like a big aspect of it. Yeah. You know, is how much, how many games you're pumping out. And at some point, I don't think their complaint is necessarily competitive balance. I think their point is really more along the lines of, Hey, I'm running out of things to make that I can feel good about putting out there. And it's boring and it's getting boring, you know? So I think that's, I think that's legit. I, I, that's very legitimate thing it's so hard in a card game to keep everybody happy right you have the competitive players that want to see a balanced high-end competitive you have the mean players who want to see meme semi-viable stuff right you have the casual player who wants to get on and not get completely trashed every single game that they play so they actually want to come back and play it again Um, and then you have the content creator who wants to have content to be able to create so they want lots of room to experiment which means not having a thoroughly refined meta. And I think it's well, hard or at to appeal least to having all a of mid, them. I, th- I think a mid-range meta is, or even a control meta is the, I mean, I think a mid-range meta is the ideal state of a card game, um, mm. which I think we kind of had before, before this, this last balance patch. Mm. Um, I personally was largely okay with where the balance was before the patch. And a lot of the stuff they did was minor. You know, I don't know how we ended up here necessarily, but rather 
I guess I, my point that I would make is we were always here. People just weren't playing those decks. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if they is enough to really have brought this aggro back. I think it was already coming back. Yeah, and we haven't really had enough adjustments. I mean, honestly, one of the key adjustments that we got was to Braum, and Braum was a good card. Is a good card against some of these. Uh, yeah, although decks. I will say, I will say, by on like the, this is where the difference between so Braum was, hmm. Braum is good against aggro, but he's a four drop. Yes, as a three drop, he he needed to build so heavily around him that I don't think he was that good against aggro as a three drop. If he had gotten the plus one attack and still been a three, totally different conversation. But on four, aggro is usually winning. Mm, well on their way. Or, yeah, or, or or you've already countered it, you know? And so I think, like, I don't know if Braum is, especially if it's their attack token on four. Braum is not a great play. Because you don't get that that value out of it. I mean, you can block and get a Poro, but like, I I just yeah, I, I think generating that Poro, they're they're gonna get the other things coming through. You're only playing one defender. I don't know. Like they'll sw they, usually they'll open attack anyways before you can play the Brom on four, you mm -hmm. know, to, to to be a blocker. So yeah, I I think Brom, you know, in, in a deck that is anti aggro, Brom can be in there. For sure, he might. I think Brom right now is actually an ideal mid-range tool. I think we're really. I'm loving Brom in mid-range lists. I think he's an okay control tool. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't like like just to wrap this up because we've been on this for a little bit. Sure. I don't have any major issues with the environment from a competitive standpoint right now. I don't like elusives, but that's a preference. I think. I mean, I think a lot of people don't like elusives, but I think I'm not on the I don't like elusives mechanically. I don't like their their fun, fundamentally I don't like elusives. Not I don't like that elusives are the strongest thing out there. I just don't like elusives no matter where they are. Sure. Um but I think uh what we're seeing and I think the newsworthy aspect of all this conversation was simply there's a lot of content creators who are starting to feel like they're running out of things that they can do. Um, and I think that's a worthwhile thing to note. And I think it's an important thing for the design team to note because a lot of your marketing is driven by a lot of your exposure is driven by the content creators. You gotta, at a certain point, you know, they don't rule you, but you do need to do what you can to make sure that they feel the game is worth their time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. We, we do have a couple of orders of business to take care of real quick. And then we're going to move on to our, we have a, we have a question that we're going to answer that was, it's kind of a bigger question. We're going to try not to belabor it too much, but it's a bit of a bigger question, but we oh, did I'll have, belabor. I'll belabor the crap out of it. He's going to belabor it. I'm, I'm a, professional belaborer <laughs> we did have a new uh, five-star review come in just in time for the hat drawing this week we're going to do it a little differently be uh mostly because i don't have a hat down here um right now but uh it came in from our good friend from discord uh my hammock he said i absolutely loved the legends cast um i i think he means love he loves us. Um, uh, I first introduced, I was first introduced to this podcast by my brother, um, who is also meddler in discord. 
Um, so shout out to him. He also loves podcasts and CCGs and encouraged me to check it out. I'm really glad he did because I was introduced to a cool community and to people who just genuinely love Legends of Runeterra. Dead Broke Nerd and the Lift are excellent hosts, and they can t and you can tell um, that they put a lot of hard work into the show. So thank you guys. Look forward to each new episode. Thanks for what you do for the community. Well, you're very, very welcome, Mahemic, and also you should know that we don't actually put that much work into this. Um, we don't want to make it seem like we're doing a ton, you know. We're, we just kind of show hey, up Stop spoiling our secret. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really just showing up and talking. <laughs> um, but, uh, but we do... Oh man, I have to find. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna introduce the next section, and then I'm going. Then, then we're gonna give the hat away at the very end of the episode. Okay. 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 Let, let's jump into our question uh, for this episode that deals with uh, kind of a main subject. I'm gonna let you ask that question, um, uh, DBN, and start us off in the conversation about kind of how you would answer that question. I learned that in class. <laughs> You are you okay? Do you have it pulled up? Because I, I did I, that. I do now. Oh, so fast. He's so fast, guys. Um, it's quick draw. Okay, go ahead. Uh, okay, yeah. So this is a question from my good friend Gibbles and Bits, uh, but also something I've been seeing people asking about in the Discord, which is why I recommended we we talk about it. Um, so I think I saw like three or four other people over the last month ask this question. Um, but it's kind of a big topic to broach, so we wanted to kind of have an episode on it. Gibbles and Bits asks, Hey guys, I have a question I think would be really helpful for players, including me. How do you, The Lift, and Dead Broke Nerd, hey, that's us. Hey, that is uh, us. That's us, guys. How do you approach deck building in Legends of Runeterra? Does it differ from how you previously built decks in other games? It's a great so, question. It's a fantastic question. It is it is a really good question because I mean there's two there's two pieces to it. One, how do you approach deck building in Legends of Runeterra? That's part one. Two, and I think this is really one of the more interesting parts, though kind of hard to uh, extrapolate on, you know, without going too far away from the fact that we're a Runeterra podcast. How does it differ from previously uh, building decks in other games? Um, and because because you and I both have a background in other card games, you know, we both played Elder Scrolls Legends. You played Magic. I've played, oh God, a lot of things. Sure. Uh, you know, I built decks in Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, the old version, Legend of the Five Rings, the new version, and Versus System. And then we both played Hearthstone. So I mean, like, it's a legitimate thing that like building decks does change the approach does change based on the game itself um, but to start with let's kind of talk about approaching deck building in runeterra because i think that that word is the perfect one approaching um, so much of in my mind and i i consider myself just for credentials sake for those of you who haven't been listening around for so long i consider myself to be a um decent deck builder i i if you are familiar with the magic um, description of players, Spike, Johnny, uh, and Timmy. Consider myself to be a Johnny, then a Spike. Can you, can um, you, we haven't actually talked about that. I thought we had, I thought we did. Well, we we did, okay. we did, but back in Tessel, could you just give oh. like a, a very quick synopsis of what each one of those are? 
Yeah, so Temi, it, it, it basically these these concepts were are very broad, but they they define what gets a player excited about playing the game, what they derive satisfaction from, right? So, for instance, a Temi derives satisfaction from doing big, splashy, cool plays. A Temi's theoretically going to be really happy if even if they lose more than they win, the games they win, they win by these big, awesome, splashy plays or by a huge margin. Basically, in short, Timmy loves to play Blue Eyes White Dragon, okay? Timmy probably loves to play Exodia, right? Anything that's big and splashy. And that's where they and, derive satisfaction from. And in Yu-Gi-Oh! From. Big, splashy, and also he plays Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, Timmy. Timmy. No. I, I, I was using that as an example, <laughs> but uh, it was I don't funny. know a magic you, example. Both of your examples <laughs> were both from Yu-Gi-Oh. So well, because I, I, like... <laughs> I, I, I didn't know a magic example. Fair. Uh, which is where it's, what it's from. Fair. Um, and so then you have, um, then you have Johnny. Uh, and Johnny derives satisfaction from the deck building side of things so looking at the intricacies and the interactions johnny derives satisfaction from the deck he's both playing and piloting being a representative being representative of their creativity um it's a creative outlet and they like to experiment they like to you know toy around with things and their deck is a representation of themselves um and they have pride in that uh so that's that's um uh johnny and then you have spike and spike is the quintessential competitive player um spike is going to derive satisfaction from winning and generally whatever um way whatever form that takes so spike has no issue taking a, a medalist and playing the crap out of it to legend right even if it's the most hated me- even if it's kenku elusives right doesn't matter. He just wants to play which what is he statistically wants to win. best. Deriving well, and it just or what they deem to be the best in the situation. Spikes really derive the satisfaction from winning. It's a pretty common thing. People like to win, right? Uh, and so it's not a necessarily a creative exercise. It's not necessarily how he wins. A spike would, whereas a Timmy would not mind losing games if it meant that the games that they won had big margins. A spike is going to be happy winning 10 out of 10 games with a two point health margin. You know, because he's because the end result was that he won all those games. Um, okay, so, so anyways, now the type that's of that's the type concept of, type of person you are. Type of players, I, I, I'm a Johnny first and a spike second. I like to win, I like to be competitive. I consider myself a pretty good player, um, but I also have that itch to be that kind of ccg hipster i like to have that creativity i feel like the decks that i play are expressions of myself and i've been this way in most card games that i've competed in um so to start i kind of have that background a in experimenting with things i did it a lot in tesla that was kind of my shtick on on stream was we never played meta but we never played garbage you know, we always played competitive off meta. And that's kind of how I approach deck building personally, because I feel like I don't love playing just strictly memes because I don't have fun losing. Sure. But I, you know, and so that's that spike, secondary spike characteristic coming in saying, hey, if I'm losing, I'm not having fun. So I want to win, but I, it's, it's that double-edged sword. I want to win, but I want to win my way. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, so anyways, uh, that's kind of the background, and it does color my interpretations of how to build a deck, just to be clear. Um, there's a plenty of amazing meme creators where the the satisfaction can be found in the idea of doing something really weird that nobody else does. But I don't pursue that necessarily unless I think it can be competitive. If I, can, I think it can hang with good other good decks, you know. So anyways, I, I think... Um, and at any point, feel free to interject and, and add something. Sure, on, sure, sure, but... sure. Yeah, well, I'm going to go over kind of a quick look at how I do deck building in, in Legends Terra. once you're done with kind of a little bit of your theory of how what drives you deck building in general. Right. Um, so for the record, guys, uh, I do think if you're a newer player and you're looking at um, just generic theory and some deck building, but also in like analyzing matchups, I do recommend you go back. And if you haven't listened to episode six, uh, you can go back to episode six of season two of Runeterra um, and about the 61 minute mark, we go into a discussion on deck axes, um, which is a really important concept that helps you understand what your deck, how your deck wants to play, how your opponent's decks are likely to play and how that should color the way you pilot your deck against your opponent. I think it's really useful for deck builders, but also like people who are still learning the ins and outs of the game, understanding how to change their game plan mid-match depending on their matchup. I think it's a really inter good discussion. I think it's some mm -hmm. good basic fundamental theory. Because that's, that's um, about piloting. I mean, it is about deck building, but it's also a lot about piloting. And you can take a good deck, and if you're a garbage pilot with it, it doesn't mean that you're going to win games with it. Yeah, you have. it's, it's really else, It's about understanding the deck you're playing and understanding the why of the deck. I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the best way to sum it up. Yeah, that's so anyways, um When I start building a deck um it typically comes from one of a few things and there's probably other um examples of this but these are the three i kind of came up with when i was putting notes together um the first is uh one way that you might come up with a deck idea and it all starts with an idea that's got to somewhere or in a movie it all started with an idea um sure i mean that's a quote one of them for sure it's got to be uh one of them is an interaction a car, specific card-to-card -card interaction that you think is interesting. Um, so my example for this would be uh, in my most recent YouTube video. I uh, was toying around with you know these these uh, this deck that um, Templar showed me, and I stumbled across the Silverwing Vanguard, which says when I'm summoned, summon an exact copy of me, right? And I mm -hmm. said, wouldn't it be cool if I did got did some deck buffing, um, so I could get bigger copies of this. Okay, that was that was it. That was the interaction that sparked my interest. Um, so that's one you know starting point. Okay, I have this interaction, and I want to build around an interaction. There can also be a mechanic, you know, or a theme. I want to build around Poros. I want to build around last gas creatures. That's how I got towards my Lucian Callista deck, because I wanted to build a deck around the last gas mechanic and you know the Undying specifically. You can build have a starting point of a just one card. Hey, I really like this one card. I like the concept of this one card. I want to build a deck around making this card shine. Um, or you could take a mashup. Hey, I've got these two cards. I've got. Mm -hmm. I, I want to see if I can make Darius work with Heimerdinger. How would I do that? Right. And each of those starting points, I think it's worth when you're building a deck. I think it's worth saying, like writing it down somewhere, or or even just saying it out loud, saying. For this deck, here's my starting point. Because a lot of times halfway through the deck building, 
if I don't lay down that groundwork for myself halfway through deck building, I'll start like finding myself subconsciously gravi gravitating more and more towards a meta list that uses the two things that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think like that's not incorrect, by the way, but I think it can, you can end up wasting your own time with you have a deck that looks very similar to something else. And you say, why did I just do this? I thought I wanted to build something new. Um, so when you're doing that, it does help to, I, it helps me at least to kind of very clearly put those guidelines out. Wh where did I start? And I want to not lose focus on that. Um, so that brings us to uh, kind of my second point, which is I do think it's important before you even sit down to start building your own unique, fancy, cool deck to have a basic understanding of A, the mechanics in the game, which I'm not going to say you guys don't do it i'm just saying it's you know when you first start a game i never recommend brand new players to start building their own decks i always recommend saying hey go check out a you know a list from someone else sure. and learn why the cards are in there <laughs> um and you know so but so you should know um the mechanics of the game you should know your deck axes like the core concept of deck axes which again episode six um, because I think that that's like a lot of people will know it intuitively and that's fine, but I think it does help to have it spelled out. Um, and from there, what you need to do is establish one of two things and that, that kind of jump off of your starting point. So you've got your starting point. Then you need to figure out either your win condition or your game plan. And they're di two different things. Uh, we talk about this in episode six, but I want to lay it out again. I think that there's, we talk about decks, um, we typically talk about archetypes, aggro, mid-range, control, combo. Those are like broad archetypes. And now some people consider specific things like, oh, deep is an archetype. I, I, I For the sake of, and, and there's not a unified voice around these definitions, but for my sake, archetype for me is aggro, mid-range, control, combo. Um, and if and in yeah. some games, there's more than three or four archetypes. There's five, six, seven archetypes, you know, in other games that I've played. But in this game right now, we're mostly dealing with, you know, three, three or four, four archetypes. Right. Um, and But then you have game plan, you have win condition. Your win condition is a very specific thing. So for control, your win condition could be run my opponent out of resources, right? Basically blow all their stuff up until they don't have any cards left. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty common Elder Scrolls Legends win condition mm -hmm. in control, by the way. And it's not always the most fun to be on the receiving end of. Um, your win condition could be, um, you know, for aggro, it could be burst your opponent down. Right. So, like, uh, um, burn Noxus and PNZ is get your opponent to zero as fast as possible in any way possible. Right. And that's why you see them typically not worrying so much about making good trades, about winning the board. They're just trying to get that number to zero in any way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. right? Um, a, another aggro win condition that's much more, much, much closer to my Callista Lucian deck is um, uh, secure a board state that is so strong that your opponent cannot come back from it. Yeah, it's kind of sounds obvious. That's a Demacia, like Mono Demacia. That's their win condition. Create a board state your opponent cannot possibly stabilize from, right? Um, but that's a win condition. That's why with those aggro decks tend to want to take favorable trades. Whereas PNZ and Noxus, they don't defend. They just throw their things back in the face. Yeah, they're, like a they're more like a glass cannon, right? A glass, yeah, that's actually a great 
kind of parallel, actually, glass cannon. Um, but that's a win condition. A, a win Yasuo is a win condition. Mm -hmm. In some in some decks, a leveled up Ash is a win condition. Sure, she uh, has real in and of herself. Ash can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, you could say, hey, Ezreal, uh, Ezreal's bursty, you know, damage uh, from leveled up Ezreal is my win condition, you know? Or, um, you know, hitting Nautilus and making all of my things deep, that's my win condition, right? Or Starlet uh, Seer buffing my Fizz a billion times and then getting right. Fizz on the board. I'm going to win with Fizz. That's how I'm winning the game. Right. So that's win condition. And I think kind of adjacent is game plan. And game plan is one of those things like I, I think I typically prefer to look for a win condition first, but in some decks, especially like mid range, right? Mm -hmm. you, you kind of discover the win condition. Um, and so sometimes it can be okay to just identify saying, hey, um, these are the types of creatures I want to be playing. This is, I want to be playing proactive threats to force my opponent to defend, or I want to be tricking a lot of trades on defense. Or I want to be doing, and it's less, much less specific, but it gives you that structure of saying, well, these are the types of cards I would use in that case of my, here's my game plan. I, I want to be, you know, dropping, um, you know, overstatic creatures that, you know, I mean, that's a game plan. Dropping overstatic creatures in and of itself isn't a win condition. <laughs> dropping overstatic creatures is how you achieve a win condition. Sure. I mean, it's very similar right? to survival, right? Like survival mm -hmm. can be a game plan. I'm playing combo, right? So I need to get Ezreal and Karma on the board. My win condition is get them on the board, play a few spells, win the game. But my game plan is surviving until I can assemble the combo. And so throughout the whole beginning of the game, it's not necessarily making me win by removing their creatures or, um, you know, generating spells and things of that nature. It is just getting, it's surviving. My game plan is surviving until I can get to my win condition. Exactly, yeah. And so I think um, at that point, like, the reason why we're giving you guys so much structure on this and kind of giving you a little bit of an outline is because it can be really easy to go through the deck building process and and kind of get just lost. put in, get lost. Yeah, not like not know either not know what to put in or put in way too much stuff just because you like those cards. So mm -hmm. having that structure really keeps you on task, keeps you focused and looking at the cards that you think are actually going to support what you want to do. So having that game plan and win condition uh, is really important. There's a reason I, I said I don't think you should start with an archetype. Um, because starting with that, like, well, I want to play aggro. Well, okay, but there's so many different ways to play aggro. Um, do you have something more specific in mind? Um, I, I, you know, it's much better to start, you know, um, specific and expand outwards than it is to start big and, and hone yourself in. Because when you start, if, you're, if we're talking strictly like deck building for new things, um, if you're starting big and working yourself in, then you're going to gravitate towards the things that already exist. Um, I mean, at least probably. Um, so that's why I kind of recommend win condition. Identify that win condition. Identify that game plan and then build around them. And I and once you have the game plan, look for your win condition. Once you have the win condition, look for your game plan. You know, if you have that win condition of saying, hey, I, I want to combo out with, you know, Ezreal, um, but I actually want to pair it with Swain. I want to go Swain and Ezreal. Okay, so like, how what what is my win condition then? Well, what if my win condition right is using Ezreal uh, or, uh, to um, get Swain leveled up and use Ezreal's just more of a, a basic basic you know early game tool, and then my my win condition is going to be Swain with Sumpworks map. Maybe that's my win condition. Sure, Swain with Sumpworks map. 
Okay, well, now I have to structure my deck around it. So if that case, I go and I start poking around and say, okay, well, I, if that's the case, I need to get, I need to make sure when I play Swain, I've got him leveled up. Okay, well, that means I need to be running like some mystic shots. I need to be running, um, you know, but I also might, what's the fastest way to get Swain leveled up? We'll play um, the Crimson Disciple and play the Imperial Demolitionist. Not necessarily because we want to burst them down, but because that's advancing our, uh, our Swain plan, right? Or maybe I, I go all in on the PNZ side of things and I say, well, all right, if Swain Sumpworks map is my deal, I need to make sure I always have that Sumpworks map ready. So maybe I'm actually building a PNZ shell with splashing Swain and playing the Allegiance guy that generates the Sumpworks map. You know? Um, so you can kind of go in these different directions, but whichever way you decide, you have to have that focal point and expand outward from there. I think that's one of the best things to do. Um, my next, this is more of a tip, and I have two kind of, I have three kind of tips. So those are like my, the guide, the outline. Sure. Right? Starting point, base knowledge and understanding deck axis because once you know your deck axes so fast versus slow do i want to be playing you know a faster deck okay if that's the case i need i know what kind of cards i need to include do i want to play a proactive deck or a reactive deck and this is where go back and listen to episode six you know but knowing those things then allow you to hey okay now that i know these things i have my win con and i expand from there and, and encompass a game plan right or vice versa so then my next tip is know your staples. Understand the staple cards in each faction and the true purpose they serve. My, my example here is Omenhawk, okay? Omenhawk is a Freljord staple, right? I mean, sure. I think everyone can agree Omenhawk is a very, very strong card. Um, does Omenhawk go in every single deck? You might think so based on how often you see it, right? But there are decks where it does very little for you, right? Just because you're playing Omenhawk, if you're playing a Starlet Seer list, right, with like Sejuani and Teemo and Starlet Seer, you probably don't want Omenhawk. You're not get, you're running so many spells, you may not see that buff. That buff may not translate very quickly, right? So just because it's that staple, you need to be under you know understand why is it a staple, and mm -hmm. then decide if you keep it or not. I think I see a lot of people who just dump the staples into a deck no matter what it is um, and don't kind of stop and think, wait, why am I playing this again? <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I think that that is uh, that's one of the things that I get caught up in. I think that those are great points. Um, do, you, do you have anything in addition to that that you want to share about the, the theory behind deck building before? Well, I, I think I, I sure? think the next I think uh, one other another tip I have and I can't remember my third tip right now. I didn't write that one down. Um, my, my next tip is basically just accept the environment for what it is. Um, I tend to do my best experimentation around an environment with the understanding of the environment in mind. One of my favorite times, my favorite experiences building a, a new and innovative deck was uh, playing a um, Elder Scrolls Legends deck where control was very, very prominent. And I decided I wanted a way to be able to close out a game against control that wasn't aggro right? Um, or combo. Uh, so I decided I wanted to play a mid-range list that was designed to take down control. And at the time, control had a lot of single target removal. So I found this card, Hulking Scale On, which was like a 10-mana 10 10-10, 10, but 
it could not be targeted by like any spells or anything. Like it was so hard to kill. You could really only kill it through creature combat. Um, and so my concept became, Hey, this is, uh, this is the environment that I'm seeing. Here's a card that can beat that environment. I want to use it. And so then I structured the deck around it. Well, okay. I, I know I need to get it out. I want to close out the game against these guys. So I need to build a ramp deck. I need to be able to ramp into this creature and get it down ahead of curve. Okay. Well, once the creature's down, what it's not going to kill. It's not going to deal 30 points of life in you know in one turn is it well okay if that's the case i need to make sure that it can do that if i stick it around for too long they're going to put out blockers they're going to put out uh they're going to assemble enough creatures to then kill it through creature combat so all right i need to look at that as if this is my win condition i need to be able to take them down in one go how do i do that well let's make sure i can play copies of this card that allow a creature to attack multiple times okay if that's the case i need to assemble those cards in my hand so i need to make sure i have a card draw engine you can see how that process kind of builds and builds and builds on itself, right? Mm -hmm. But having that focal point and expanding out um, is important, and that's kind of an example of it, but it also all stemmed from the idea of accepting the environment for what it is. If you, and this is maybe, I think, what kind of cycles back to the issue is, you know, right now is, right now it's, it's, you either play against, you play aggro, or you play something that kills aggro. And it's kind of, that in and of itself is limiting the experimentation range, right? Um, sure. And I am actually going to talk about that in just a moment as well. Um, but I think accepting the environment for what it, uh, what it is, and instead of allowing the environment to make you upset uh, because you can't play the weird meme, I think instead allowing it to be a fun challenge to exploit the meta is just a general tip for enjoying deck building. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. So uh, I like all of that stuff that you shared. I, I like the tips. I think those things are all really helpful. And DBN really is better than me when it comes to sort of a lot of the theory behind things and um, the mindset that you go in. So when I think about deck building, though, I go back to late middle school, early high school, laying in bed at night, looking through my brain mentally and thinking about what was in my magic card collection and coming up with decks and then waking up the next day or in the next evening and, and throwing my cards out across the ground and going to the colors that I was looking to combine and the combo that I was trying to build or what I was trying to do and then piecing that together and then playing it against my little brother. And that was deck building for me. That was what was exciting and enjoyable was dreaming up a deck. And I think for me, that's where deck building begins. Oftentimes it starts with dreaming up something when I'm not actually playing the game. When I sit down to play the game and I'm like, ah, I wanna build a new deck. Often, I don't really have a good idea in mind. I don't really have a dream in mind. I don't have something that I build around or that I'm passionate about. I throw something together that's loosely meta, but I'm not really sure if it is because I haven't really looked at a meta list. Then I play a couple of games, I lose a couple of games, I get frustrated, I delete the deck, which does happen pretty often for me. And so coming into it with a bit of a dream ahead of time, I think is always something that is helpful for me. So let me give you an example of a deck that is a really bad deck currently because of the aggro matchup. But if we were playing in a combo heavy, which we're talking about countering the meta and playing against the meta, if we were playing in a, in a counter heavy deck, counter heavy meta, or I'm sorry, a, um, a uh, combo heavy meta, this deck might be a viable deck to play and counter the combo decks. And that is the deck that I just just literally just put together. 
is a how do I take and I dream up because I've been thinking about this making Malachi work making Malachi a win condition in and of itself not a well it could win me games but I'm really playing deep but how do I not play deep at all but I play Malachi to win the game by burning up my opponent's deck and so I start with that dream in place now knowing that currently it's a terrible thing to play in the meta but I start with that dream and so for me, I then go in and I begin picking out some of the key cards. I get a bit of a knowledge of the meta and what is just strong at specific power points in the game. And I add those cards in. So I want to go and I want to get the bones of what I want to do in first. So my goal is to do this specific thing. So for me, it was Malachi, which means I'm going to need a lot of toss cards. So I throw Malachi in the deck. I look up toss, I look through the toss cards, and I put a bunch of those toss cards in. Now I have a deck that is about a third or half to two thirds built. Well, what do I need to do now? Well, it's not just gonna be enough to toss, I also need creatures to die. What's a really cool way to get creatures to die? What if I could run shark chariots? Because shark chariots keep coming back and die and counting over and over and over again. Well, what goes with shark chariot? Ephemerals, so what other champion am I gonna play? Well, let's see if we can fit Hecarim in this thing and a couple of other ephemerals. So I looked through, picked out a couple of other ephemerals, realized that Sapling Toss is a one-mana burst spell that puts an ephemeral on the top of your deck that summons directly to the board when you draw your first card. And I also realized that Blighted Caretaker summons two two-ones with Challenger and Ephemeral, which will summon back my Shark Chariots. So I'm not playing the ephemeral package, but I am playing some ephemeral cards to summon my shark chariots to let them die again to level up my Malachi. Well, what else do I need to do? I need to survive, right? So now I'm looking at Grasp of the Undying, Vengeance, Ruination, Vile Feast, um, Glimpse Beyond to be able to draw in and get the cards that I need. And so I'm looking at different things and I keep adding stuff in and I go over the deck limit. So that's my next step. My first step is a dream. My second step is get the base core pieces that I need in the deck. And if there's too many for that, I know that I, I need to go back to the drawing board. And then step three is filling the deck to full. I fill the deck with more stuff than I could possibly need and more stuff than I actually necessarily think would be good in it, but I throw the stuff in. My next step, my step four, is I go through and I begin refining. I pull cards out of the deck, okay? I needed this deck, a 40-card deck. I have a 45 or a... 47 card deck i need to pull cards out and get it back down to its limit i get it back down to its limit by refining the list going to two ofs or one ofs of specific runs so instead of having three ruinations what i started with i dropped down to maybe one or two ruinations for example vengeance might get dropped down as well because they're a high cost card and the last thing that i do is then i go through my collection and i look for things that i missed because inevitably you're going to miss something and so I look through the collection and I find the cards that I miss, I add them in, and then I go back to refining to cut it back down to that 40 card limit. Once I get done with all of that, I take my deck out and I play it, which, you know, in Magic the Gathering, it was playing against my brother. Here I take it out on the casual ladder. I typically don't take it out to ranked right away. And I play a couple of games with it. Usually one to three games will tell me oh my gosh, this card is dead in my hand, or I am missing this card. Oh man, I can't believe that I forgot, let's say for example, um, oh my gosh, I completely forgot to put Jettison in this deck. Well, I didn't, but let's say I did. 
Oh man, I never saw Jettison. I look at my deck, I don't have Jettison in there. Well, I really need Jettison in this deck. So I go back and I throw Jettisons in and I refine. I'll do that a couple of times. And then I make a determination. Is this deck worth continuing to try to play or did I just build something that's hot garbage? Because if I just built something that's hot garbage, <laughs> I just delete it, right? And sometimes that that's to me, my experimentation ends up hot garbage, hot garbage more often than not. In one case that it didn't was Lux Ash Mage Seekers has turned out to be a good deck for me. I really enjoy playing it. I like the combination of the cards that are in it. I dreamt it up. I came and put it together. I've refined it and it's turned out to be a pretty good deck. But a lot of my decks that I created, like my Fizz Teemo deck, I was like, this deck just ended up, the concept was I'll generate a lot of puff caps, which will allow me to level up my Fizz pretty easily. But then in the end of the day, I didn't have any way to win the game except puff caps, which is a terrible way to win a game, typically. Um, and so all of that to say, I go, I take it on the ladder, I refine, I take it on the ladder, I refine. And then usually after the first or second round of refining, if it's a garbage deck, I delete it. If it isn't, I'll set it aside and pick it up another time and do a little bit more refining until I get it to a point where either I'm bored with it or I'm happy with it. Um, and so I, I, I hope that that's helpful with kind of like how I go through deck building. Step one, come up with a dream for the deck. Step through, get the cards in it. Step three, overfill it. Step four, refine it. Step five, look for the things that you're missing and re-refine. And then step six, take it up on the ladder and start refining it through the ladder by looking for stuff that you're missing or stuff that's clunky. If it's dead in your hand for a couple of games, I typically go in and I drop one or two of it. I think that it was Lasergician who said, if you want to see a card um, every single game multiple times, run three of it. If you want to see a card every game, but not multiples of it, run one of it, run two of it. And if you want to occasionally see a card, but not every game, run one of it. And um, I think that that was a helpful little bit. I think that was back in Tessel as well. Um, yeah. But those were helpful things to me to get an idea of, do I want one, two, or three of these? I never want to see more than one Ruination, but it may be that I want to see this Ruination every game, depending on how this deck plays. Or it may be right. that I don't want to see it every game, but I do want to see it in some games. And so I put Ruination in there as a one of. I think that's helpful, too, to help people determine, should I put one, two, or three of these in my deck? Um, and then I, I'll just say this because the other question that Gibbles and Bits asked, right, is what do I do different with Legends of Runeterra than I do with other games, right? Yeah, I don't know if that is worth answering in that respect. I think a better way to approach that would be what it's specific to Runeterra, um, specific to this game, what tips do we have for deck building? Because we've talked very general, very broad already. Mm -hmm. I kind of went into a little bit of the mindset, a little bit of the you know theory of like what's worth messing with and what order you should be kind of thinking, you know, um, and what you should kind of bring to the deck building process. And you definitely gave us a, a nice kind of strong outline when it comes to the steps in creating a deck, like including the testing, the 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 actual physical construction of it instead of the conceptualization of it. But I think at this point, and I did write down a few things for this as well. Um, but what what Runeterra specific advice um, for decks and for deck building? Well, I'll I'll add my bit in because it isn't specifically advice. I was just going to say this is what for me when I come to Runeterra that is different for Runeterra than other games with deck building. 
and that is in Runeterra, almost all of my dreams start around the champions. And I typically start with trying to dream up how can I make two champions work together and how can I experiment to get Timo and Ezreal to work together or how can I get, you know, Lucian and Braum to work together. My recent, my recent one was how can I get Leeson and Anivia to work together, um, you know, and it might be another card too. Like before it was like, how do I get Garen in um, unyielding resolve or whatever to work together? Um, but I think that that is how I come to Runeterra differently than other games is I typically come looking at two champions and I dream up, okay, like, can I, can I get Heimerdinger and Shen to work together? Is there something there? That's why a lot of the times my decks are garbage because I take two things that don't work together and I try to make them work together. Um, and that's why a lot of times they turn out to be trash, but that is kind of where I start. I start and say, okay, what does Hecarim Karma look like? And I try that mm. out for a couple of games. It's garbage and I delete it. But uh, I think that that is how I approach Runeterra differently than I approach other card games that I've played in the past is I'm almost always starting with a combination of two, two to three champions that I can bring together to do something unique. And I'm challenged by, can I make these two champions work together? Um, yeah, and I, th I think when you've got that situation where you're looking at the two champions, it can be very beneficial to say, okay, these may be polar opposites, but what bridge cards exist? Cards that mm -hmm. bridge the gap between them, right? Um, so for the your example of, uh, what was it, Hecarim and Karma, was that right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Hecarim and Karma, for out. example. Well, okay, so Hecarim wants to play Ephemerals, you know, we want Karma to be generating, uh, you know, resources, maybe. Or do we want to play a really longer control game? Uh, I hear Hecarim's not a bad target for for Rekindler, you know. Um, well, maybe we want uh, some of the creatures from, or some, we want leveled up Karma to be able to play multiple, I don't know, uh, ephemeral summoning things. Or we want, you know, Karma to be able to play double copies of whatever. You know, and I'm not coming up with an example right now because I'm not looking at the collection. But sure, the point I mean, is, a, you say, a great a great example say, would be dusk and spells, dawn, dawn and dusk. Right, right. On what Hecarim. spells do heck? Yeah, well, that would be overkill, I think. But what spells do Hecarim want you to play? Okay, well then, Karma, can you help with that? Right, or you say, okay, well, how do I close at a game? You know, in which Karma exists? Well, maybe Hecarim's value generation is good enough. I don't, for the record, I think those two cards don't go together at all. But I think that thinking of it in that perspective of even if you have two things that are very different, what cards bridge the gap? What what other cards work with each of them, even if they're mm -hmm. in different ways? I think that's a good way to think about it. Absolutely. Um, so go I ahead and take your points, and then we'll move on. Yeah, these are just very quick one-off things that I kind of assembled that are just little... Runeterra specific advice when deck building. Uh, the first one I have, actually, this one is general deck building. I I just forgot it. Uh, I was I it was the one I forgot mm -hmm. in the last category. But just basically, when you're building a deck, it can be really easy to go way too far in one direction, especially mechanics, themes, or synergies. Um, so the best example I give is if you're playing a um you know, a Poro deck. It can be really tempting to include every Poro on the face of the planet, which in this case, because there's not that many, that's actually 
probably worth doing in a sure. Poro deck. But I recall, you know, the Tesla days, uh, people would want to build a goblin deck and they'd put every conceivable goblin in it. And it was like, okay, but some of these goblins aren't good. You don't need to go 40 goblins to, you know, generate enough synergy to get value out of your synergy cards. You know, your payoffs are good enough. You don't need everything in there supporting it. Um, you know, it was pretty common to see that with like, uh, you know, like Wax and Wayne and, and Tesla. You know, everyone runs every single Wax Wayne card possible in a deck. And it's like, well, some of these aren't good. And some of these are, yes, they may, you know, some of these cards, yes, may have the mechanic, but don't actually support your game plan. They don't support your win condition, even though they share a keyword. Yeah, You know, that can sometimes happen with ephemeral. There's a, a couple different styles of ephemeral. There are some cards say ephemeral, but aren't worth including. You yeah, know? and you can go way too far in that direction. Exactly. And so, and there, and then that brings up another point. Most mechanics and, and themes have a downside to them. So the ephemeral being they die. Well, at some point you need to have creatures that don't die at the end of every turn. So if you go too, too, you know, too crazy with running as many ephemeral things as you can fit in the deck. Yeah. You're going to get Hecarim leveled up pretty quick, but you're going to, when you don't have anything to block with. Mm -hmm. um, so just, in mind you know of being able to say and it, that's where mark's point about going like overfilling your deck and then trimming down i don't do that personally in this game but i did it all the time in tessel you have to kind of pare down okay this or this this or this you know um and go, making those decisions between them especially on the curve is really important that brings up another quick quick thought here um you need to understand the curve and spellman in this game and how unlike other games um, the cost, the prohibitive cost of spells are not the same as in Magic, as in Tessel, as in Hearthstone, because you can cheat them out earlier. It's really important to remember, just because you have a six-cost spell um, does not mean that that six-cost spell actually is a card that can only be played on turn six onwards. And it can really throw off your perception when you're looking at the bell curve of your costs. The spells can really disrupt that about giving you a good idea of what your what your curve is looking like. I, that's a tool that I use all the time in a lot of other games. But in this game, I almost never look at the curve because it looks wonky based on how you know spells are typically slightly overpriced because mm -hmm. of the spell mana system. Um, but there are also cards like, like, for instance, Remembrance isn't really a six-mana spell. Sure. Right? It's usually much cheaper than that plus the spell mana situation. So just keep an eye on, on that, you know, um, when you're building your, your deck, especially mid-range and control decks, looking at the curve can sometimes be awful intimidating, but be careful before you start cutting out all the spells uh, or all of the other cards at that cost um, because that, that's just a little difference there. Um, I would say once you know your game plan and win condition, don't just run one drops in a mid-range deck because playing a one drop on turn one feels really, really good. Mm -hmm. sometimes that that one drop even though it feels really really good on one that one drop is not going to be conducive to your game plan uh unless that effect is really useful that's why omen hawk is a great mid-range one drop right um but uh you know avarice and century is a this is not a one drop but avarice and century is a great uh two drop for when you need the resource extension but just because it's a good card in and of itself doesn't mean you should play it in every mid-range. Doesn't mean you should play it in every uh, control. You have to think about, well, am I getting card draw from other sources? If so, I don't need Everest and Sentry, right? Um, and that kind of ties into the next point, 
which is basically you kind of want to work through your first few turns in your deck, like theoretically, right? I don't remember what it was called. Sand, I think sandboxing. But it's in, in other games, uh, it was pretty prominent, at least as far as I knew, that in games like, I, play, I remember doing this in Versus System, I remember doing this in old Legend of the Five Rings, but any game that kind of had a base economy, like, like hitting lands mm -hmm. or like setting resources or playing, you know, um, or building, uh, buying holdings in, in old Legend of the Five Rings, you would often kind of like dry run the first few turns um, just to see how it hit on consi you know, consistently. And similarly, in Runeterra, instead of dry running it, which you don't really need to do, I don't feel, because of the resource system is automatic, right? Like Hearthstone has kind of changed that idea of like, well, you just have gen general resources. Um, but, uh, you know, without that, um, you can still kind of have that basic idea of, okay, what are my first three to four turns? You have to play something by turn three or you're usually not winning the game. Just, just general rule of thumb. Yeah. If you don't play something on turn three, you're usually not winning the game. Some decks plan to not play anything until three. That's fine. Is your you you don't need to have ones and two drops if your plan is to run is to play thermogenic beam and mystic shot on turn two every game. That's fine too. You know, um, but you do need to think through that. What am I spending my mana on in the first three turns? Because my opponent is certainly spending their mana on something. Mm -hmm. so i need to know what i consistently am playing on those turns sometimes it can even be better to say okay i'm actually i'm running mystic shot because it's a really darn good card but that's actually not my plan to play on two and if that's the case if you want to play a creature on two you set those two cost mystic shots aside and say this isn't part of my plan i don't want to play mystic shot on two even though i want the card so i need to make sure i have enough two drops that i see a two drop creature every game or most games you know it, you have bad flops it's cool um so that was just something i was thinking of um while we're still on this point and kind of circling back to the one drops eight drop situation don't run an eight drop if you're an aggro deck sure you may not want to run an eight drop if you're a mid-range deck or, or a combo deck, if it doesn't contribute to the combo, or if you're hoping to have already stabilized the board and cemented a proactive advantage as a mid-range deck, you may not need that 8-drop. If Sejuani is going to come down and be your win condition, is the maybe the Tusk Raider comes in, Right, so maybe this isn't a good example, you know, but like <laughs> if, uh, but like you don't need to play um, the uh, She Who Wanders or whatever, even though uh -huh. that's a good card. Even though it may fit into the pacing of your deck, don't play it just because it's cool. Um, you need to make sure those cards fit what actually, and that's kind of a general deck building tip, I guess, but I see a lot of people saying, hey, there's a really strong 8-drop. I'm putting it in the deck. Well, you know, is, that, is the effect of that 8-drop worth the potential for it to sit dead in your hand from turn one on? Mm -hmm. In the same way, that is that 1-drop, hitting that 1-drop on turns 1 through 3, is it worth it for your mid-range or control deck to have it be a dead draw on turn 10. You have to exactly. think about your top decking. Avaros and Sentry is maybe an okay top deck, you know, on turn 9 or 10, because it can come down, chump block, and draw you a card. That's great. Um, but, you know, Omenhawk is, a, is not a great top deck on turn 10. Um so if your plan is to if your plan based on your pacing and your deck access is to go slow, you don't maybe don't want 
those those ones and twos if they're not contributing as a top deck. Sure, card. sure. I mean, your your Anivia, right? Your Anivia uh, Thresh control deck isn't going to run Omen Hawk because it doesn't care if it buffs stuff. And it doesn't care exactly. if it doesn't have something to play on one. And it definitely doesn't want to draw it towards turn 10 when it's looking for its tools to close out the game. Right. And that goes really for your first three to four costs, like what's cost one through three or four. If you're playing a control deck, you really ought to think about how good of a top deck is this card. If you're playing a mid-range deck, your ones and twos, you should think about how good of a top deck is this card. And it, and it should sway your decision making. Now, sometimes it's worth it. And that, you know, and so in that case, play it. Even if it is a bad top deck, if playing it on curve truly is that strong, okay, great, it's worth it. But if playing it on curve isn't isn't worth the potential for it to be a bad top deck, you need to be able to identify that. Um, and then the last uh, little point I have here for Legends of Runeterra specifics mm -hmm. um, is champions don't have to be the center point of a deck. No, and they don't. You shouldn't always think about leveling up a champion. It's a big trap in this game. And I've, I fell for it in the first couple of weeks. The idea of, well, how am I going to get my champ leveled up? Some champs don't care about getting leveled up. And, and even the ones that do, they're often still generally better than most creatures at that cost um, at their basic level. Especially like Braum now is just a straight up very strong four drop. Yeah, I mean Elise has always been that, right? Elise has always just yeah. been a good two drop. Fiora has been a just a generally good thing. You don't need a three mana three three with Challenger is just generally pretty good. You know? Um, you don't need to get the level up. And so I, I see we talked about this with Misfortune, actually. Mm -hmm. Um when Silverfuse came on and we kind of did the Misfortune spotlight. And, you know, we talked about how Misfortune's not seeing play, maybe not very good. Um, and I kind of, first off, I'm going to do a little bit of a pat on the back in that, like, two weeks later, Misfortune was one of the most popular ones to go with Sejuani. Uh, but uh, Misfortune is one of those ones that it's a big trap card. And we talked about this, uh, which it, it's, I was arguing for the Fiora effect. I think Silverfuse was kind of agreeing in that, like, yeah, if you need the space, if you have space for another champion, if, let's say, Sejuani is your win condition, right? Sure. And that's the one you're building around. You want Sejuani leveled up. Okay. Yeah, Misfortune helps you do that, but but you don't need Misfortune's level up necessarily. No, you're, you're just you're better off attacking with her and losing Better her. off attacking with her and losing her and just getting... So, like, I think that's a really important thing. We Newer players especially, uh, I think, will look at the champions and want to see the maximum potential. And even outside of champions, we all look at cards when we're evaluating and we see that maximum potential, but really you need to look at the average potential sure. of a card. Um, because I think that that gives you a much better idea um, of what role it's going to serve. Even if that like, you know, God roll times hits. Yeah. Yeah. That's entirely fair. Yeah, man. I think those are all really great points. And I think if you're going to be deck building, this is a great chunk of episode to go back to and listen to. I think we've taken through theory, through stuff that's specific to Legend of Ruterra, through the actual composition and building of a deck, even into a little bit of the initial stage of testing. We didn't get big into testing and tech cards. That's an entirely different episode. But uh, I think that that's really good stuff. Um, I don't know about you, man, but I'm about ready to get out of here. And I'm also about ready to announce who won a hat. 
Oh man, this is okay. always the moment of truth. This is this is the most exciting thing of the month, uh, and th it is technically July the first, but we we gave we gave an extra day. We gave an extra day this month, so people will get in. So we we did have someone come in. Okay, so uh, I'm not gonna do a drum roll, but uh, uh, here it is. I'm I'm pulling the announcement of the winner of the Legends Cast Black on Black Golden Embroidered Logo Snapback Stretch Fit Amazing hat is none other than Ivan Bolt. Ivan Bolt. Congratulations, Ivan Bolt. You have Woo! indeed won a Legends cast hat. Congratulations, Ivan Bolt. Now, Ivan Bolt, I don't know if you... Ivan Bolt's, Ivan Bolt's review is, I don't believe, one of our newer ones. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, well, it could also just be the iTunes name is not the same as the uh, Discord name or something. So we never know. Well, that that's absolutely true. But if I'm looking, I believe that Ivan Bolt was one of our early reviews. I could be. Oh yeah, nice. Um, love the podcast. Uh, they touch on all kinds of different Runeterra content. Actually, Ivan Bolt is since Runeterra. He he reviewed back in the beginning of March. So, uh, Ivan Bolt, you just need to message me on Discord what your address is and your actual name so that I don't get it confused like the last one that I sent and the post office could figure out who it was supposed to go to. Um, so, uh, message me on Discord your name and your address, and I will get that Legends Cast hat out to you next week. Um, and if you don't want to do that, you can email me at eslegendscast at gmail.com. That is letter E, the letter S legendscast at gmail.com and send me your name and address and we will get that legends cast hat out to you thank you for supporting the show you are awesome we deeply appreciate it so thank you thank you thank you um hey dude let's get out of here uh I, you put out a video this past week um tell people how they can find that yeah i actually put out two videos the first being the casted match that uh, mark and i did um for week one of the Legends Cast Discord League, which is going swimmingly, I might add. It sounds like people are having a lot of fun, so that, yeah. that's what it's all about. Um, so you can check out that match uh, that we cast. Some really interesting games on that one. And then I did put out a deck uh, guide video, whatever, uh, of my, what I call it the Ice Bucket Challengers. It's the deck I talked about earlier with Braum and Ash, Midrange, Demacia, and Freljord List. And you can find that on my channel dead broke nerd on youtube surprise surprise it's my name um should be able to find that and uh it'll be in the show notes too. It, sh it should be uh and if at any point i'm hoping to get another deck up uh there this weekend but if for any reason uh you have a question or just want to run a cool idea by me or just want to chat about uh, runeterra you are more than welcome to message me through discord uh i always check discord a couple times a day and i do my best to respond to individuals and i am uh just generally happy to talk about rune terra so that's standing offer if you want to just uh chat it up talk about a deck happy to look at it you know that's uh that's fun for me so it's not really like a hassle or anything great <laughs> Um, for me, I'm done talking. yeah, for me, find me on the Discord. The other thing is, uh, I mentioned this at the head of the show, so I'll say it now. Um, outside of this, I am a pastor of a church. Um, and so my heart and desire from the beginning of starting a, a, a podcast was to bring and shed light into an otherwise 
um, what can be a very dark world, which is the, the world of the internet. So uh, I want to give a shout out to a handful of people really quick who have joined our Discord um, to help make that happen, um, which I think is really, really awesome and super important. So um, Aeolus, uh, Templar, um, Gibbles and Bits, Grey Jedi, Leviticus Sword, and Navalis um, have all joined our Discord as the new addition to our Discord as chat admins, which are helping to sort of shepherd and guide our Discord um, towards being a place of, of positivity and encouragement and support, and not always just exclusive positivity, but um, we can support one another through difficult times, even when we're negative. And so um, if you are in a bad time or in an ugly place, especially during COVID-19, if it's wearing on you, if you're dealing with depression, if you just need help and you need a listening ear, um, please, please, please reach out to me on Discord or over email. I would love to pray for you um, and uh, love to be praying for you and love to support you with a listening ear if I can. Um, and so if you're going through a difficult time, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. That's really the main reason why. I mean, I love talking about video games um, and I really do enjoy gaming. But um, the main reason that I got into any sort of content creation is uh, is that. So, um, yeah, um, do that. If you do that thing, if if you need to, um, that's gonna do it for this episode. I think uh, anything uh, the say in closing, uh, DBN. Uh, nope, just happy to be here and excited to continue talking Legends of Runeterra. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for this episode of Legends of Runeterra. Or Legends of. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of Legends Cast, and make sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you want to become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com legendscast or leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.